Okay then, it's uh, Monday, it's actually 7.30 because we're doing it all in a slightly weird audio. It's audio podcast time! Yay! <laughs> this is show number 56, podcast Just now, Chuck. <laughs> is that a reference to uh, Yorkshire-based language and the fact that you and Sam are in Huddersfield by any chance? I think it might be a reference to um, Chuck languaging, I don't know. Well, a kind of cross-reference between that and the Chuck thing, uh, which is coming later uh, in the show. Speaking there is uh, Adam Yanch, who is uh, guesting this evening as our Southwest correspondent. Indeed. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Sam. Hello. Um, I'm Scott Hewitt. I'm joined by Samuel Freeman, as always. That's me. Hello. Uh, Scott McLaughlin sends his apologies for his shocking time management, as always, and his busy marking. We now have an interview with... The dude from Chuck, whose name is Spencer. Let's go. Scott Hewitt here, and um, we're we're joined for this uh, um, audio podcast. We have an interview with Spencer Salzar, who uh, Go Wang reported to me as being the lead on the current development for Chuck. Is that the kind of right picture to be painting, or? Yeah, that uh, that sounds about right. That that sounds very cool. So, um, I, as a keen Chuck user myself, and I know a lot of our listeners are as well, I thought it was a great opportunity to go and try and get us a little sneak peek as to what's happening with Chuck development at the moment and what kind of things we might be able to look forward to in the next, uh, in the next release. So hence we have this great opportunity. Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Cool. So, um, what, what, what kind of, um, what, what kind of features are there in the new Chuck release then is, uh, well, so the, the number one feature, um, really is, is Chuggins. Uh, this is, is, as you might be able to, uh, surmise is a conflation of the word plugin and Chuck. So uh, Chuck doesn't really have any way of having plugins right now, and uh, Chuggins is a way of addressing that. Um, basically, right now, it pretty much only supports uh, adding new unit generators to Chuck. But the cool thing is, basically, I can write a new unit generator and I can send it to someone, you know some other Chuck user anywhere, and he can just kind of plug it into Chuck um, without having to do anything really than putting it in the right place on his computer. Um, whereas in the past, actually, to develop a new unit generator for Chuck, you had to basically recompile Chuck entirely. And to distribute it, whoever you wanted, whoever wants to use that, that plugin also has to recompile Chuck entirely, so it's kind of a, it's it's not exactly a user friendly process. So when you say uh, writing, you're you're meaning these are written as kind of um, as, as kind of C code kind of UGENs that people can write. Then they're not kind of audio units or a wrapper for kind of plugins such as like VST plugins. It's more actually being able to write additional kind of UGENs to then use within the kind of Chuck code itself. Exactly. I mean, it's it's pretty low level at this point. Um, it's 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 based off of C and C plus plus code. Um, it uses the same interface that Chuck's um, built-in UGENs use. So it's you know you're sort of right there. But uh, I certainly envision you know VST and audio unit sort of wrappers being constructed. Using using you know this kind of lower level framework. Oh, will there be? Is there going to be a, um, a software development kit for people writing these things as well? I suppose so. They. 
that's a good question. I guess um, right now it's it's pretty minimal. The I guess the, the software development kit is this one example I've been sending to a few different people. Of uh, you know, it, it just kind of um, you know goes over all the different things you can do right now using the using the Chugin framework. Um, for now, I think that's kind of like okay, but if if you know, assuming this gets popular, which I imagine it will be, um, we'll sort of continue to look at other you know advancements to to the whole chugging system. So is um, at the moment what you've designed then is is purely just a way of people being able to port maybe kind of C plus uh, C, C code that they've got they're kind of doing certain DSP processing. It's just a way for them to kind of be able to compile that and move it into the Chuck environment so people can use it there. Or is it or do you envision it being more extensible than that so people could actually write stuff and you know kind of put some sort of visual elements in there as well or things like that. Yeah. Um... Right now, we've we've sort of tried to limit it to um, the use cases that are kind of really hitting us in the face, like right, right this moment. Um, you know, people like um, like Chris Chafe, the uh, director of Karma, where I'm a student. Um, you know, pretty much the first day actually that I started here um, at the program here, he kind of pulled me aside and he's like, you know, you don't have to do any of the coursework in my class if you just get, you know these three features to work and in Chuck. And the first one was basically what's turned into Chuggins. So uh, situations like that, like kind of need urgent um, addressing. But um, down the line, I totally like stuff like visuals, video, um, kind of general programming facilities as well. Um, these are all things that I think Chuck either needs or would be cool to have, and uh, I'd, I'd like for those mm -hmm. things to be built using Chuggins. Awesome stuff, I, cool. I like the idea of using the Chuck operator to throw visual data around, especially if you can then throw it from the audio domain into the visual domain and vice versa. I think that'd be, that's the kind of thing that excites me anyway. Yeah, absolutely. That's, um, that's something I've been kind of uh, thinking a lot about, actually, is, is how to integrate visuals. I mean, I'm become pretty good at getting Chuck and, for example, processing to talk to each other via OSC. But mm -hmm. I think I think there's a lot of cool stuff you could do in Chuck proper as well. Yeah. Oh, that, that's cool stuff. Um, so, uh, Sam, do you have any other questions along those sort of lines? Because I want to, I, I have a couple of questions of a more kind of personal curiosity nature that I want to abuse this opportunity to ask. Um, no, that's fine. You go. So can I ask, um, is there any is is there any kind of developments in terms of public class public class support and things like that in inside Chuck the ability to have kind of multiple public classes in a file and those kind of elements? Is there any developments on under those sort of ways or? Um, I think at at this point um, we've sort of tried to you know we're we've kind of tried to put a. Um, a limit to the to the scope of of what we're changing, just you know, to to keep our to maintain our own sanity. Um, so right now, I think um, the kind of overall type system isn't really undergoing any huge changes. 
Um, but, you know, as I said, you know, as I was talking about earlier, like there, there are some issues that are just kind of really just sort of glaring and, and are kind of a problem to, to either us or to some of our, some of the users that we talk to the most about these things. And um, I think the type system is definitely an area for improvement. So, um, so yeah, if, if uh, you or any listeners have suggestions or, or you know, particular problems that uh, you're encountering, uh, we'd love to, to hear from you. Okay, cool. Uh, that's fair enough. Um, th that, that was my big one, actually. I'm just going to limit myself to just one personal one, but I have a, I've, I have a personal, <laughs> I have a personal project that, um, I, I, I built something called Chuck Instrument Processing, I think maybe two years ago and kind of made it public for people to play with it. And ever since then, I get this stream of emails and all the problems are related to people not loading the files in the right order and not being able to kind of, you know, I've been like, oh, it'd be great if there was a way of force, you know, just having, Let's just go here and just, you know. Double click this one and everything else will sort itself. But sounds like you're gonna have to reprogram all that as a chugging. <laughs> well, that would yeah. Yeah, that's that's one way of, of doing it. Um, I guess. But uh, so I mean, yeah, I think um, I, I I guess probably there are different type dependencies or something. Is 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 that sort of the, the gist of it? That you know, you need sort of need to load one class and then that's used by a different class. Yeah, and there there are um, public classes, it, um, it it uses that kind of um, UGen way of declaring public static UGens and then passing audio between them. So you can have a kind of centralized sort of bus system that you put audio to, and then you can take audio from to pull them into different class, different files that are actually, well, you know, different chuck shreds that are running on the virtual machine. So they kind of pass audio between themselves. And it just... Okay. It, it, was cool. a, it, was, it was a hacky way of making it all work a couple of years ago that a Kaysen actually developed and kind of oh, showcased right. initially. Okay. And then I kind of expanded on it into a kind of more finished kind of item to demonstrate its use. So that was it. Yeah, maybe yeah. I'll uh, scope that out uh, afterwards and oh. see. Uh, I did. It, it was purely yeah, just a <laughs> personal curiosity. It's the fun thing about doing this <laughs> when you get people on things like that. That's cool. So um, I, I guess in a more general way, for people who don't know anything about Chuck, which will obviously be some of our listeners, what, we'd, um, what, what we're talking about. What, what we're talking about, yeah. It's always great to go the wrong way around with things. But what would be your, you know, if a, like a one-minute pitch as to why people might want to check out Chuck or, my, or why they might want to, to try it out or use it? Um, well, uh, I mean, I can tell you why I first started getting into Chuck. I mean, it's okay. basically a fun and easy way to just sort of immediately start making sound with your computer in a way that um, is really a lot more powerful than um, something like, you know, uh, Ableton Live or GarageBand or, you know, whatever, whatever it is, I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure exactly uh, what sorts of uh, software your listeners are, are accustomed to, but um, there's really sort of a lot of power just in the, the programmatic model and compared to other languages, um, such as Super Collider or Max, um, I find Chuck a lot easier to, to really just kind of get into. Um, and um, there's a lot of cool stuff that you can do with um, stuff like joysticks, um, keyboards, and mice, and just getting all that to, to kind of make weird sounds. And uh, if you work at it a little bit, you can even make something that you'd be willing to call music. Definitely. So that's, that's, that's a, a cool way of answering that question, actually. 
I think um, I'm, I'm just going to join in because I think it'd be fun. But I, the thing that really attracted me to Chuck was the the whole notion of being able to to drive things through the progression of time, and then the way that the the time is manipulable in the kind of macro and incredibly granular level as well. So the fact that you could say in a sample's time or in a week's time, and all of the kind of durations between those two extremes, I found to be very musical to work with and very exciting to work with as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, in in so many ways, both both at kind of the the micro level of you know, I need this buffer to be you know exactly this many milliseconds long for this pitch to come out of it, or you know, I need this measure to last two seconds, or I need this movement to last two minutes. Um, time is really just sort of this first class entity in Chuck, and that's that's very much a unique feature of, of the language and it's very much part of its power. Definitely so. Cool. Um, Adam, uh, Sam, do you have any, uh, do you have any other questions or? Um, when, when are we likely to see the new version? I mean, that's something, I don't know whether or not that's been answered. We mentioned it before we started recording, but. Yeah. Uh, probably, um, Probably within, I mean, it's it's sort of been ready to go actually for about a week or two. And really, I'm just, I'm not even dotting I's and crossing T's anymore. I'm just kind of, you know, making sure the the serifs on the T's are, you know, look <laughs> look good enough or, or something, you know, like uh, <laughs> there, there's really like just such a minuscule amount of stuff that needs to be done. But juggling that with classes is, uh, you know, <laughs> um, I do know. <laughs> always a, a fun sort of uh, situation. Um, so sometime so, soon, maybe. That's a... I mean, absolutely. Like, if it were up to me, like, I would just stop doing everything else that I have going on right now and release it within the next week. Um, but I would say, like, within two weeks. Cool. That's awesome stuff. So, um, if you. You could wait for the new release, but if you don't want to wait for the new release, uh, Chuck is uh, an, an open source project, which is uh, free, free as in beer and, and as in speech. So you can download it. Um, if you do a Google search for Chuck, once you get past the TV show, you'll get it. But the uh, the link is also in our show notes at wiki.theaudiopodcast.co.uk, and you can go grab it there. I guess the, the final question I did have from a development point from a development point of view is, um, I know there's been a little bit of criticism of that Chuck development tends to happen in a kind of hidden away is there is it likely to be moved into a more kind of public domain in the future or um that's part of uh that's so uh the, the whole chugging kind of uh system or framework i'm not I'm not sure kind of what what sort of nomenclature you even want to use for it but let's just call it a framework uh the whole chugging framework is designed i think much more so than, than ever in Chuck's history, probably, to uh, to really leverage community development a lot. Um, I mean, depending on how things go, we sort of see, like, y you know, there are some pretty kind of vibrant um, language extension communities, like with uh, with Ruby, for like Ruby Gems, or uh, I think Python Eggs is, is what that's called where these are all just kind of being developed by people and they're they're hosted by typically like after these sort of modules are vetted they're hosted by the um, um, the, the organizations that run those 
those particular languages. So we we sort of envision something similar, I think, kind of really building a community around check-ins and um, hopefully making Czech a much more useful language um, and having, you know, people contribute to it and draw from it. So, uh, so yeah, very much, I, I think that's, that's almost uh, very much a part of the point of Chuggins is, is community-based development. Awesome stuff. That's cool. That's really great. Well, I'd, um, I'd like to thank you very much for your, thank you very much for your time. It's been, it's been a pleasure, pleasure speaking with you today, Spencer. Is there a place where if people want to uh, find out more about yourself, is there a place that they can go to find out more about yourself or? Uh, yeah, it's, I just have a pretty simple personal website. It's uh, karma.stanford.edu tilde Spencer. Cool. We'll make sure um, we put that up onto the, onto yeah. the show notes. Yeah. That's awesome. Awesome. Cool. Excellent stuff. Cool. So if you're interested in seeing that, you can go check that out. Um, Thank, thank you very much for your for your time, Spencer. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. All right. Thanks, guys. Okay. So the first item in the show notes is not what it was before. It's now changed. It's something different. And so the first item is awesome plugins for sale half price. This is Sign Vibes have a set of three audio unit plugins um, priced at just twenty nine dollars currently. These are the rhythmic filter effects with deep. Um, dynamo and turbulence. Cool. There you go. Stuff for sale. Stuff for sale. <laughs> um, Twenty nine dollars and half price into the first of July. Yeah. I thought it was kind of fun actually. The, the kind of interfaces were cool. Yeah. 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 And the examples were fun. I, I they 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 emailed me about it about this happening and I was like yeah I'll put it on the show and then I emailed them back saying if we could have permission to play the examples and they haven't replied back so there we go oh, well. they've lost their opportunity that's opportunity what they've opportunity now lost <laughs> I, I did listen to I only listened to one of the examples I have to be honest and yeah sorry, interesting it seemed like they were putting very simple sign I listened to the um, turbulence one cool. people should listen themselves have a look but these are audio unit only they don't seem to have VST or other types that, that's that's very true. If if you want to listen to uh, well, if you want to find the link, you can find it at wiki.theaudiopodcast.co.uk. Uh, this is a show number fifty six, so they're all there as we're working away from them. Um, talking about a uh, cool user interfaces. Uh, how about a drawable user interface from, uh, from Sketch? Uh, okay. So this links to a story on creativeapplications.net, and the idea here is that you take a piece of paper and you draw shapes on it and a camera, a webcam is synchronized with a projector. We'll have a look at your lines and project over an interface. And then you can, using blob tracking, use your finger to slide sliders, toggle toggles, and press buttons. Yeah. And then that will spit out OSC, which you can then plug into synths and stuff. It's called Sketch Synth. Um, it's not itself as simple, though, is it? No, it, it's just a user interface. Uh a way of capturing a gesture on a, on a kind of custom drawn user interface. And then the, the demonstration they have pushes it into a PD patch where you actually have the, where the actual synthesis is obviously being created inside the PD patch. You can kind of see like a screenshot of the PD patch. I'm just kind of having a little glance at it. <laughs> well, there seems to be a low res filter at the center of it all. That's a, there's a low res filter there. So that's, that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> It's a cool video, though. You know, it's a it's a cool video. It's on Vimeo, so it's like nice and it doesn't autoplay when you hit it. 
<laughs> I kind of like it, you know. And it, it's good to see a kind of a nice amalgamation of kind of open, you know, open source kind of technologies being brought together, plugged in to kind of create these kind of cool things. And it is, yep. Yeah, it's created with open frameworks and um, well, it was open CV. Yeah. Yeah. Excuse my button presses on my microphone there. Um. Which, which is really cool because things like it offers user feed. There are elements of user feedback, so you can actually like you can have a slider like the position where the slider is is indicated even though you just draw the slider onto the piece of paper so it's kind of cool the way you can you can kind of get the user feedback being given there and things like toggles and stuff like that will display whether they're toggled or not toggled just from what i guess is a projection onto the paper perhaps yeah it's definitely um, been projected on there yeah yeah so i think that's it's kind of cool isn't it because um obviously with, with all the phones and things like that this kind of you know motion tracking sort of stuff it kind of took a bit of a back you know i know the connects was still doing it but everything kind of went touch multi-touch and gesture whereas it's nice to kind of see this stuff going and this is you know the great thing about the kind of visual kind of detection and the projection kind of technology is it's obviously easy to make things that are massive or very portable you know very portable or easy for lots of people to work with or they kind of scale a, a lot more and perhaps with a lot less cost than maybe Lots and lots of multi touch gesture devices. Which, you know, there's an opinion, but you know. Well, I think it's true because any, because for computer vision, you don't need a high res camera. Any webcam will get you going with that. So, well, it's very cool. It's, uh, <coughs> it's a cool piece of tech. I like it. So, you know, hence I put it in the notes. <laughs> um, I think the next item, if the order's not changed, is to the. Um, Morton Subotnik thing, is that right? Yeah, preschoolers. Yep. So this is called, is it called Pitch Painter? Indeed it is, yes. It is. The reason I'm guessing is because I don't want to open it because this is a YouTube video and it will autoplay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, yes, yeah, so this is made, um, it's an iPad app that's designed for children and the idea presented in the video is that children can play at different things and this gives them a chance to play at composing so not just making music not just performing but actually taking performance listen and then listening back and editing to create sounds with a really simple interface that's kind of built on the idea of um, building blocks type model so kids can get into the idea of it really quickly and yeah it's a good idea yeah. and it's really powerful those kind of those kind of interfaces it's always surprising how how much you can get out of that and how much like children can actually do creatively when you limit the interface but make the right decisions in limiting the interface to those kind of things definitely yeah it's the kind of thing that you don't need to sit down and tell kid how it works they'll be able to suss it out for themselves quite quickly and they'll soon be soon be doing things that you wouldn't have thought of yourself with it that's yeah. my experience watching kids on these things that's cool ready for us to be usurped in several years time by the next wave of genius computer programming child that's it imagine being born into a world where like touch screen stuff is just the norm that's, yeah yeah i still struggle with the uh, touch screens you know <laughs> big fingers big big thumbs it, it it is awesome isn't it though but do you not worry that the you know these children with their incredible kind of touch gesture skills they don't have the, are they ever going to learn the typing skills though you know what i mean like the, 
the qu you know being able to work the qwerty keyboard properly and things like that because I don't know is is touch really going to replace the qwerty keyboard I don't think so and I think yeah. I don't think so but I mean I think I think children who have access to such things will still learn them as well I think that no, yeah. I'm not so convinced I'm not so convinced. Not. Yeah. we'll see then shall we <laughs> we'll see we'll see and uh, moving on to um m moving on once more again um an e email I got through uh, telling us about the fact that Audio Studio Manager Lite has been a has been released, which is a, a kind of I was under the understanding that it's an Avid based product, but it actually well they sent it to me well I got the contact from them it doesn't indicate that actually on the kind of on the App Store it's a it's a OS X kind of application which allows you to manage um, all of your kind of Avid sessions and your kind of hardware and then you're invoicing all in one go. Um. Yeah, so it's a kind of it's a project management software solution based or targeted at audio studios. So if whether you're running a small commercial studio or it's a personal thing, to keep track of how long you're spending on different jobs and how much you've charged for it and how much of that's been paid and which tracks have been recorded when and whether you've done your backups, all that kind of stuff in a centralized location rather than attempting to get things like spreadsheets to help you to do it. Yeah, definitely so. And and it's focused towards the kind of Pro Tools world because it can it can look into Pro Tools sessions and identify whether they've been backed up or whether there's any kind of accompanying notes in there or whether there's things have gone missing. Um, and at the same time, you can also give it a kind of log of your your maintenance requirements. So you can kind of say, remind me if I, you know, remind me that this needs maintained in a year or something like that, and it will automatically manage all that for you. So it is a cool, you know, it struck me as a kind of cool enough application that it might be of interest for people. It's um, free in the App Store, so you can just go get it and and try it out if you want to, and perhaps it will replace your combination of spreadsheets and notepads and such. So. Yep, and that's OSX 10.6 or later. Yeah, What else? Um, what else we got? Oh, another avid item here. Um, Pro Tools. This is uh, yep. power mixing with Pro Tools. So, mix engineer Mike Shipley will be webcasting and do a live Q and A on May thirtieth, which is next week ish. Yeah. yeah. It is uh, next cool. next uh, Wednesday. Yeah. Uh, Grammy Grammy winning mix engineer Mike Shipley, ACDC, uh, AC Def Leppard, Maroon Five. So. It's a good, good set of lines there, and he'll be, uh, you know, as as is always the case with these things. There's always a nice focus on the new features and the latest systems, but you know, nonetheless, there'll be there's generally a load of kind of good advice there as well. So that'll be really cool, I think. Yeah, awesome, cool, great stuff. Shall we? Uh, shall we plot on? Whereabouts have we got to? I'm not really keeping track. Haha. <laughs> um, the next, the next link is to a PDF coming from UK Ofcom 2012. Is that right? Is that where we've got to? Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, so obviously, in the UK, we have a, a very kind of busy summer of. Well, we have the Olympics here, and we have a Royal Jubilee as well. So, um, as as a consequence of this, Ofcom has created some amended. Well, some, some additional guidelines about the use of radio mics and wireless technology around those kind of celebrations. So they've released this PDF, which details the process. Um, I guess the most, in, well, 
from my reading of it, the thing that struck me is the, that I didn't realize is that licenses that are issued normally aren't valid for the duration of the duration of the kind of certain events over certain dates. So if you're if you're in a situation where you are running a license and you're in the London area, you have a you have a license for Radio Max already, and you're in the London area, then it's, you should probably contact them for clarification just to just to be certain what the circumstance actually is. It's incredible that that someone actually thought of it. You know, it's like, oh, uh, we maybe we should come up with some something that has to happen during these particular celebrations or or events uh, because there's going to be a huge clash. You know, I would have completely not realised. Well, I'm, so basically, what the the underlying thing is that you have to buy a license if you want to use wireless like radio things. Then, well, I'm, I'm not sure that's entirely. <coughs> That might not be entirely the case. Um, let's stress that this isn't okay. legal advice, so you definitely want to clarify. But my understanding is that radio frequency <coughs> 70, which is the normal unlicensed radio mic in-ear monitoring band, is available for use as it is generally available for use. However, as there's likely to be hundreds, <laughs> if not thousands, of people running around with radio mics over the, uh, over the Olympic like the Olympic and Jubilee period, the chances of any of that stuff actually working is probably nil. So as a consequence of that, as you would normally do is you would reserve, you know, you would pay for a license, which gives you a kind of a certain frequency to operate. And that frequency is reserved for you and it's exclusively for your own use. So nobody else should ever be able to, able, nobody else should ever transmit on it. And therefore you can be guaranteed that your equipment will work. This is where my question comes in. So, so having paid for a particular radio frequency band to use, you've got your license. Um, who who polices that? What if somebody starts using your frequency band for their own stuff? How how can you can how? I, I yeah, I have these questions, and then I tail off because I don't really expect to have the answer for it. But you know, I I find it curious. The the issue is generally you can't, and it goes well. You know, Ofcom would like to say that they enforce this stuff but in reality it's it's very difficult to enforce because if somebody just throws together you know somebody quickly grabs a radio mic dials it to the wrong frequency and does two minutes then they might wipe out what you're doing they got their two minutes done and then they run off and you know there, there's no it's hard to chase you know i mean unless you happen to record you know the interference and the interference happens to be discernible and you can kind of ex, you know pull out the information you're it's unlikely that anything's actually going to happen which is always been part of the problem of working with kind of radio, you know, wireless kind of technology in these sort of situations. So so an audio podcast top tip might be, if you can get away with it, stick with cables. I think, yeah. yeah. This, plugging stuff in with wires is good. <laughs> it's, it's much quicker to troubleshoot, isn't it? It's kind of a side issue to what we're really talking, to what this is talking about, but yeah. Well, yeah. It's using uh, wireless for the sake of it is is just asking for trouble. I think. Yeah. Well, I I'm guessing that you you'd get a license for that kind of thing because you absolutely needed to use a wireless system, and you know, completely impractical to use uh, a huge cable running a hundred meters down to the stage or something like that. Yeah. Or the other thing is, if you're obviously <clears throat> shooting and visuals alongside it, you might want to be able to. You know, you, you might want to do do particular shots, or you might not want. You know, it might be impractical to have cables because of the kind of shot that your director is requiring of you, or you know, I mean those those kind of issues as well. Or even if 
remember if you're if you're kind of doing the video work it might well be that you want to be able to stream the video live to the production van so the production van can mix it in and they don't want you know it's entirely impractical to have the cables doing that kind of run so there, there are lots of reasons why you'd be pressured into it but i think from an audio point of view it's probably a good idea to have a have a backup cabled solution in your bag ready to go if you know, if you get there and it turns out that your mics are completely useless, your you know your radio, your wireless equipment's useless. You need to be able to fall back to some some kind of cable. I know this will work solution in this kind of thing. So, good tip, good tip. I I enjoyed the civic mindedness of that uh, that last item. Uh, shall we move on to the next item, <clears throat> which is acoustic tiling that responds in real time? I have no idea what that means. Hang on a minute. Where's this? Do I need to refresh the show notes? Yeah, this has been this has been added in. Acoustic tile. Yeah, okay, let's. Okay, I'm gonna load. Oh, my internet connection might die by loading this page. Let's give it a try. Yeah, when, when I'm did still this here. Come from? <laughs> I don't well, know you know that's the, oh. that's the thing with having an uh, that's the thing with having an open wiki that people can uh, edit. You know, this might be that this guy owns this site. Um, and this is his company, and this is him getting his uh, his little thing in. So we haven't actually men mentioned exactly what it is yet. While Adam, your I think it might have been... could have been realised at the bottom of the page, it I tells think it you was... who last edited it, and it was Scott McLaughlin. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. So absentee Scott McLaughlin did mention he had added some things, and this is it. Wow. So we so. I on the see. back, okay. so from if you're in the room, you look up, you see some nice wooden drilled panelingy stuff, and on the they're, they're kind of, of baffles, it, you've got aren't they? Actuators that can move them around. Yes, it looks like mm -hmm. hydraulic or some kind of uh, hydraulic rams, which appear to change the angle at which the, the baffle panels sit, um, kind of re uh, relative to each other. So there must be some incredible technology up there that knows when to change the baffle for a particular kind of sound or uh, scenario within the space. That sounds, that looks very, very interesting, doesn't it? Yeah, I've, I've been in studios that have um, kind of semi-fixed pieces on the ceiling to turn them over for two different types of acoustic. I guess this is just a way of automating that, perhaps, that type of thing. Yeah, and I, guess, and I guess you can use it to make more kind of subtle alterations than, you know, more more kind of granular and kind of mediated, you know, alterations to it as well because of the way you can change it slightly rather than different surface or things like that. So, yeah. And of course, real time is the important side. What you were saying there, Sam, was yes, you can change the side of the ba baffle, but you'd have to go over and do it between takes, really, wouldn't you? Whereas this, well, yeah, you'd it's imagine. a reactive thing. Very much. So if you, you don't have to go and knock the drum kit over and all the microphones that are booming around the place. You can... <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, that's very cool, isn't it? That's great stuff. We should contact these people and get, get, them, on, get them on the show. That'd be awesome. That's really cool. I like it. I like that a lot. Awesome. Hey, hey, Scott, Scott. Yeah. Hey, Scott. Yeah. You, know, you know what it's time for? You know what it's time for? What's it time for? Plunder! That was a dub pirate. Pirate. <laughs> well, actually, before we do the plunder, we should do the other stuff, really. So, um, 
We um. Oh, what's the other stuff? The other stuff's a new section. We have a new section entitled "Other Stuff." So um, uh, okay. Th- this I apologize. I'm I'm new to this new uh, this new format. Uh, that, that, that's that's okay. So uh, for, in case you're wondering, today has been a little bit more disorganized and perhaps not quite as free-flowing because we're back to recording don't, via... Don't a, throwing fleas around. <laughs> we're, we're back to recording via <laughs> Google Hangouts, so we're not all in the same place. Um, but that meant that Adam could join in, which was awesome. So we were very hey. happy about that. And we needed to do it anyway for Spencer to get in, so that was, so was kind of cool. Um, but um, yeah, so we're on a Hangout. As a consequence, we're lacking any kind of super boutique microphones. So there we go. But the one thing we do have is that Adam Yanch is, uh, as just illustrated Hello. through the cool use of the effects, is, um, is, has a sound card that works with Google+. Plus. Yes. Uh, so here's me. What I basically have is it's the, uh, the kit that I use for um, the Helo PG stuff. Oh, Scott, by the way, have have you promoted the Helo PG album on um, the audio podcast? We've it's been kind of mentioned, but there has been no official kind of announcementy well, plugging of it. I'm going to hijack the channel for thirty seconds and basically say uh, Helo PG. That is the postgraduate arm of the Huddersfield Experimental Laptop Orchestra have released an album, and it's available online for free it's streaming and download is it yeah um and we'll put the url in the show notes so you can go and have a listen to it and download it if you want um recorded over several sessions that we did um and yeah so go and check that out i thought i'd get that in because uh it's, it's very important i th- i think we did a good job as Helo pg um, so anyway, as part of Helo PG, I have a, a kind of system I use. We all have our own separate system, and uh, my system is based around a Novation Neo 2.4, which is a, a little USB um, audio interface, which is two in and four out. It's meant to be connected up to two record decks, effectively, or a, not record decks, the, the mixer, um, you know, the the crossfader mixer between two record decks. That's the idea. Um, but, you know, it's got some other useful functionality like a um, microphone in and a guitar in and all this. And it's got an interesting monitoring section. One of the interesting, most interesting things about it is that it allows you to put effects on what you're listening to um, whilst you're monitoring. And it, what it does is it actually sends two channels to the computer through its own little effects unit and sends it back to the headphones, and then you can either record the dry version or the affected version. And so what you're hearing now is, is the affected version. And nice. uh, I, Scott, well, the reason why it might work fine with Google Hangout is A, because it's just USB, plain USB 1, and maybe it's got the class compliant driver, so it, it's not as uh, sophisticated underneath as like a, a Motu, something like that. Uh, that was a question. That was a kind of, I've, what is your opinion on that? I've, possibly so. Um, to be honest, I know that the Google uh, Google Plus Hangouts have changed a lot. Of, you know, There's been lots of versions of them over kind of you know the last couple of months when we've been using them so i should i guess i have to be honest and say that i haven't actually tried to use the um 
you know, use the use a Motu sound card for a hangout because I've just came to the assumption they don't work. So I have things planned. You know, I, I have everything cabled up to do it a completely different way on the assumption they don't work. So I'd have to undo some of that wiring to see if it did work. But we I, could maybe but, ask uh, Scott McLaughlin because he's got an ultralight, hasn't he, Scott McLaughlin? Yeah, and he he he's had a quite a bit of. You know, the last time we tried to do a show with Scott, he couldn't get it to work again, and that was maybe I don't know when that was. That wasn't that long ago, though. Maybe just a couple of a couple of weeks ago. So, I can see. But then a a drive a a unit that I know claims to be class compliant, which is a Presonus audio box, USB USB audio box, and that had real that didn't work very well with the Google Plus either. So. Oh. I couldn't get that to work. I think it worked once and then didn't again. So, do you think maybe it's a browser thing? Because it's know. the browser that basically is the the link between the audio side of the computer and and Google Plus. It it, it could well be. I I I don't know. I just thought it was cool that what you've got definitely works. So let let's identify that and say about that. Yes. So Novation. You've done a good job uh, making an audio interface that appears to work with Google Plus Hangouts. So, well done. And uh, it's a fun little box. It comes with its own little effects, um, which are quite flexible. And, yeah, I mean, I think it's a pretty good little decent box. I like it. Anyway, um, that's a recommendation done. Um, we can now, I believe, move on to the plunder. Again. Wow. <laughs> So first up in the plunder, um, let's do them in this order. So we have something which is actually audio related and then things get a little more tenuous and then they get back to audio related and then they get tenuous again. So first of all, um, I thought this was a really cool item, but uh, Sonic State have a uh, have, have an article about tips for live laptop use. I haven't seen this. You've added this. That links nicely <laughs> in with uh, Helo PG, doesn't it? Oh, it does, and all you can do is little tips there. So, hang on, I'm going to try load list now. You talk and shells, I'm going to go flaky for a bit. No, that, that's okay. Um, the, the thing I did want to mention is that, um, I, well, it's kind of fun that we have a whole load of Helo PG players on today, actually, because we actually recorded a podcast on the way back from a Helo PG gig, and we actually discussed... In fact, it was us three. Yeah. It was me, you, and Sam who did that and one. And we actually Fantastic. discussed pretty much all of this in that show at, at some fairly fairly extended length. So I thought this was a cool kind of extra little bit to go there. Um, so, you know what I mean? We've got, we've got, we've got it in place there. Saying so, obviously, some of it's really obvious, but, um, you know, they say things like, get you know, get rid of all the rubbish off the computer, which makes sense. Um, think before you update is a, is a crucial one. Um, you know, updates tend to break stuff. I'd agree with that. Um, the Temporarily, idea of clones, usually. so you you know clone your computer and then you can reinstall it. I think that's a. While I understand that as a cool idea, I think we mentioned in the in the actual on our way back in that show we were talking about there there is a problem with that, which is you can't instantaneously move to a reclone your computer if it if the software trashes. It takes time to redo the clone, and sometimes you need well, a working computer to reestablish the clone. Let me uh, let me challenge that with a program like SuperDuper or Carbon Copy Cloner for Mac. Those are two Mac programs. Yeah. You would do the clone beforehand, and it would sit on a hard drive, which could be connected to the computer. If for some reason your computer was completely shot, you basically boot up from the clone on the hard drive. So it's not instantaneous. You would 
it would take maybe 30 seconds a minute to get back going but you don't have to rebuild from the clone live yeah so you could so what you would suggest is you could take a an a bootable image and then work from the bootable image off on some sort of remote media perhaps or something like that exactly you'd you'd have the boot the bootable image ready just in case everything went um breasts up yeah i i don't know if that uh if that will catch us out in the uh in the i mean that wasn't really swearing so <laughs> i think we'll be fine we'll be fine we'll be fine i think the the, the thing that i've always said is that i like to have a second laptop with me and um you know what i mean cuz then you've literally just got another machine and you can just instantaneously swap them out and you can use things like rsync or you know a whole variety of technologies even like dropboxes to just keep the machines in sync with each other so but then scott you like doing things the complicated way so i i i use dropbox for synchronizing things in a simple way I I just run one computer, and if it were to fail, I would be out of game. <laughs> but I have a simple setup, so it's less likely to fail. Um, moving, anyway, moving on with the other points he's got in here, um, one that I disagree with completely: um, SSD, you know, solid state being the best option for storage. Um, I'm really not a fan of solid state. I think it's a, I, I think it's a bit of a turkey technology, to be honest. Um, yeah, yeah. And Cynical old Scott Hewitt. Oh, if I could do my laptop improvisation on analog tape, that would be amazing. But no, SSDs. I think you're going to have to just live with the fact that SSDs are the future, at least for the moment. Well, I, I don't concede that SSDs are... That the, it's not an issue of them being the future. I understand they're here and people are going to use them, but I think the thing you have to realize with like solid state storage is that it has some fundamental limitations. And one of them is the fact that it, you can't, it has a read, write limit to it. And the read, write limit to it isn't anywhere near as high as you think it is. And when, some, when you say that, you mean the number of times that you can reuse the same drive, uh, like you the can same write bit the same, of same memory bit of it, yeah. on the thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and, that, yes, that's, that's and, true. And that but limit is like a hundred areas. You know, that, that limit, it can on certain on a low quality old per you know poorly designed drive can be as low as a hundred you know a hundred thousand a hundred thousand writes at times, and the drives are built to manage that kind of thing where they can you know oh this is oh this is you know exhausted don't write here anymore go to somewhere else they're built to take that in mind but it means that you're you you have a a system which is going to break you know which has this notion of it won't work built into it and things will start breaking and to say to kind of go into a performance environment knowing that you know you could be at you could have 25 writes left and that might be the point that your drive runs out of writable space and things start to fall apart and I, Scott, then, I appreciate the, the hypothetical you're, you're right of course but of all things that are going to go wrong in a you might you might be like 20, 25 spins away from your hard drive breaking you know it's the same thing and a hard drive is mechanically more fragile because it has moving parts and it has all this gubbins inside that has to do something, whereas SSD doesn't have that the, the the motion within. So there's reliability somewhere else. It's trading one kind of reliability for another. I'd, I'd agree that. Yes, I would agree. I would agree with that, and I would agree that you're all saying that I'm being some sort of doom merchant. But I think the point I'm making, <laughs> the point that I'm thinking of is, right now I'm here. You know, I'm using a laptop, which is, you know, 
which is five years old. It's taken a battering. It still works. And yes, hard drives are very fragile things, but they're very fragile things that have been built for decades now. And they've really... For millennia. <laughs> and they've really fixed and solved, you know, a lot of those problems and reliability issues have been resolved. And they've certainly got to them to a point where hard drive failures aren't so much of an issue. I remember when I first started getting into computers that your hard drive dying was a fairly regular event. And well, the same the same progress will happen with the SSD. I mean, that's just the way it'll become more robust, especially yes. because Apple are pushing them so much. And then you've got the Ultrabooks that are coming through from Intel, and there's the AMD version, which are called Ultra Thins or something. I don't know. I I agree entirely with that, Adam. Yes, they will get better, but I think right now, I'm not sure. Right now is the time to be saying we're definitely just going to you know put solid state in and be you know, and be done. Because I think, you know, your average door is very, you know, is very intensive in terms of hard disk usage. Um, and, and I think that could, you know, people might find in five years time that they, you know, their hard drives, you know, that they are killing hard drives in five years. And I think if you buy a hard drive and it dies after five years, most people would be disappointed if that was a spinning spindle. And, you know, I, I wonder if the SSD world is going to, prove a little bit flaky in a couple of years time because of this because th this you know these are new ssd stuff so yeah well basically what you're saying is that i'm living on borrowed time with my ssd drive that's it man. um anyway shall we let's move on and let's move on to a subject which people will enjoy because it basically involves the ghostbusters hooray do -do 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 -do. right um <laughs> This is a another YouTube video, and it's some guys going around New York visiting locations from the Ghostbusters movie, reenacting the scenes and demonstrating how you can do this in a day. You can visit, I think, they, do they have eight or nine locations around the city of New York? And, yeah. Now, Sam, ask me what this has to do with the audio podcast. What has this to do with the audio podcast, this Scott? <laughs> Nothing. Hey! Please. I just thought it was really, really cool. So I just couldn't help but put it in. It is it is awesome. So, yeah. I just had to put well, it in there. I felt like I was doing a misservice to people to be aware of this and not throw it into our plunder. So I, I can only apologize for those who uh, prefer our show lean, focused, and direct because this well, really we'll has get, not been one. <laughs> we're we're going to have to move on from the... The tenuous link to Ghostbusters to something I don't know what the next one is. Benga, I will never change. What what is that? Okay, so now we're on Vimeo. This is a video that's being posted, which is basically a promo for a tune, um, and it uses how to describe it. Maybe people should have a look. I don't know. This is the plunder section. It reminded me of something we featured. I haven't had a chance. To look so it what up. they've done? I'm I'm jumping in. I'm sorry. Okay, I'm jumping in. Cool. So what they've actually done is they've made the track. Then they looked at the visual representation of the track as you would be used to seeing amplitude over time. And what they did was then go and cut vinyl. So they've actually built that dis that visual representation in real life out of vinyl records arranged, you know, beside each other in a horizontal row. Yes. They've got about they've got nine hundred and something white label records that they've cut to various diameters. And, and then they kind of time lapse it in the video so that it syncs up. Yeah. With when the you peaks. say time time lapse it. What well, they've they've edited the video in such a way that the audio appears to manifest visually in these various sizes of record as it plays through. 
Oh, I see. Right. So, what when you is it the audio waveform or is it a yes. spectrogram or is it something just else? the, it's the audio waveform. waveform amplitude over time? Amplitude over time. And it's very similar to something which um, Andrew Spitz of Soundless Design did a while ago, which maybe I should now maybe yeah I think we plundered that or met talks about it, but cool. I'll I'll endeavour to add the link after the show i won't start browsing for it now awesome that's cool stuff shall we shall we head on to the final item of plunder and the final item is youtube is seven years old today the 21st of may 2012 happy birthday youtube happy birthday youtube only seven years old i am actually surprised and it's not actually seven years old i'm I'm doing a high-risk strategy here wait a minute i'm gonna hit mute okay i've got it i'm just scrolling the video because it tells you when the url was registered ah uh, yeah and that's not quite... that's not quite then so i mean i press play i'm just it's just playing you can obviously check this video out yourself if you want to come and play go 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 so january 2005 where it started february the 14th was when the domain was registered in 2005 so april 23rd did you say february 14th yeah i think so yeah valentine's day yeah how romantic so <laughs> you know that, that's beautiful <laughs> So there we go. That was, you know, that was a cool thing that I came across and I thought it'd be fun to kind of mention. So, yeah. So there we go. Cool. It, it was done. That That's cool. Um, Yeah. So we've made it to the end. Yay! Yay. It's quite... Now, I've, I've got a question. I mean, so the listeners by this point will know the answer, but I'm curious. Are, are we editing the order in which this is all happening so that the interview goes in the middle? Well, surely by oh. the time that they've actually listened to you say that, they would have heard the interview. So that's what I, that's what I mean. I'm, I I don't know. In in at, at five past eight on the time we're recording, you know, right now in in my timeline, current, not when I listen back later to see how foolish I sounded. Um, I, what? Okay, it's one of the paradoxes of audio recording. This is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. Is right. Um, and, when you, and when you say what we're going to do, what you mean, what we have done, what yes. we have, you mean what we have done. This is what we have done. I'm going <laughs> to edit it so we'll go intro, interview, show. Okay. Like that. Now, when when I started the interview, did how, did I introduce us right? I don't remember. You did a little bit, yeah. Okay. Sam, you introduce the interview now. Okay. <laughs> oh please don't edit it please let's just run it like this no no That'd i'm gonna amazing. cut it i'm gonna put it at the right place but i will leave <laughs> the the remains of the show intact this bit i won't edit okay. it so sam you do that quickly we now have an interview with the dude from chuck whose name is spencer let's go awesome cool so um there we go that's kind of like being front. punched in the face really isn't it well i I, I feel like punching someone in the face. There we go. Let's oh. cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll leave that there. That'll be fine. That'll be fine. That'll be fine. Okay. So um, we, we attempted to record this in a hangout, but we just got mobbed by like loads of people. So that means that um, we w- almost certainly will use hangout on air next week for the show properly at 7 p.m. If you are listening to the show and you want to get involved, then we, we are going to record the show at 7 p.m. next Monday. That isn't a bank holiday next Monday, is it? It might be. No, no, it, no, isn't. no, no it isn't. It's, uh, it's the one after, week yeah. after. So we will record the show at 7 p.m. London time in a hangout, which you'll find off the Google Plus 
off the audio podcast Google Plus. And if you want to be in it, you need to add us to your add us to one of your circles, and then we can add you to our listener circle. And I will only invite the listener circle next week because that will My prevent the chaos. God. How complicated is that? Should we wrap up the show and say goodbye? Should we just do that and run away? Well, we can now. We've explained that. Sam, stop being a card. Good. All right. Sorry. Um, let's. Um, my name's Scott Hewitt. Oh. I'm Samuel Freeman. And uh, I am the Southwest correspondent, Adam Yanch. Adam Yanch. Bye. Du, 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 du. Bye. <laughs>